Love seeing how social you guys are every Sunday. It's one of the things that makes this church so wonderful. So a couple new faces always get kind of tackled, like, hi, who are you? Welcome. And that's uh, honestly something that's really cool. Um, My name is Jimmy. I'm the youth pastor here. I am very privileged to be speaking with you this morning about Mary and her story, and we may have another guest. We'll see. Who knows? Anyways, I wanted to start this morning off by being very, very honest with everybody. I am, I'm a little bit of a skeptic. You know, it, it's, uh, it's, I've been a skeptic in the past. I've, I might be a skeptic in the future. It's just kind of one of the things that is what I am. And, it, you know, well, first of all, let's, let's, let's break this down. I, I, have a, I have a reason for saying this. I'm not just telling you about myself. Um, what, is, what is skepticism? Most of you probably know, but uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, you could ask Siri. She tells you. She tells you everything. But if you were to ask Siri, she'd probably say something along the lines of skepticism is generally a questioning attitude or doubt towards one or more items of knowledge, belief, or dogma. It's often directed at domains such as the supernatural, morality, theism, and just knowledge in general. But it's applied to any topic, like politics, religion, and pseudoscience, and the scorekeeper, you know, in the middle of your game, you're like, oh, is that the real score? Or like, no, he was safe! He was safe! He's not out! You know, I don't know, some of you who are yelling at the TV screens with regards to your favorite sports team, you're skeptics too. And that's okay. You know, I think that that's an, it's a, that is an okay thing. But why do I bring this up on a Sunday morning? <laughs> Some of you may be wondering. I know I'm not the only skeptic here. I know that I'm not the only skeptic out here. For my fellow skeptics, I have to say it's a little bit of a bummer, right? Uh, sometimes this skepticism forms a lens across your face, and it becomes something which you have difficulty seeing anything but through that lens. It can be helpful in this world, which is kind of a bummer. Like, why is skepticism a tool that can be useful? Like, I I really don't like the fact that that has to happen. Uh, For example, I got an email from a cousin I didn't know I had. It turns out he's also a Nigerian prince. (laughs) Yeah. It's, yeah, cousin, cousin, cousin Jamie, you know, it's really good to speak to you. I have so much money. Uh, It's overflowing my vaults here in my home, on my home country. And uh, I just really want to give you some of it. You know, it'd be great if I could give it to you. So I just need your bank account information, you know, all your info. It'd be good, you know. So all of my money can be yours and it'd be great. Wouldn't that be cool if that was actually real? Like, oh man. And I feel like maybe some of us haven't, probably no one's responded to that, hopefully. Um, But imagine if it were real. That would be weird. Uh, Aside from the fact, we know that's not real. And it's because we have that lens. It's almost a protective lens to guard ourselves, guard our heart from falling into some easy scheme of someone because you know it's not him desiring to empty his bank account into yours it's him desiring to empty your bank account into his so that is a good thing but 
Skepticism is not a good thing in relationships. And I think some of us fall victim to that. And honestly, I think it's okay in the early stages of a relationship. First, second, third date, you know, someone tells you, I love you. And you're like, meh, <laughs> this is the first date, slow down. Like, I don't know if I fully believe that. And that's okay. But, you know, five years married, I love you. <laughs> that might be a problem. <clears throat> then you fast forward 15, 20, 30, 50 years, I love you. If you doubt that love, it's insulting. It's like, no, I love you, and you got to believe it. <clears throat> but why do you believe it? Because you see the evidence of it. The cure for skepticism I want to share with those of you who kind of, there, there's different levels of struggle, I think. Certain people have more than others. Like, it's hard to speak to people who have a high level of this skepticism, and you're just like, man, i got to prove everything to you. This is hard. Um, for others, it's like they don't have enough. They believe everything you say. And it's just like, wow, okay, this is cool. Where do you stand as a person? Sometimes I like to invite everybody to just kind of look at themselves and see where they stand. Skepticism is never really a good thing, but it's something that we have to deal with in this world today. And unfortunately, it's, it can be a good thing to guard against those uh, scams that some of us fall victim to every so often. But getting to the point, the cure for skepticism is truth. The cure for skepticism is truth. With Christianity, I have applied my skeptical attitude towards this belief because if something isn't true, why would anybody want to believe it in the first place? Right? I don't want to believe something that's not true. A skeptic is not going to believe something to make themselves feel better because they would never be able to get over the fact that it is simply not true. I was talking with uh, Commander Matthew this past Wednesday, and he's one of, our, one of our leaders now in our junior high and high school group, and he's awesome, and he pulls out facts. I, I, you know, I feel like I'm stealing some of his thunder, but do you know he memorized all of the presidents? Like, okay, easy, right? You've done it before. He memorized their birthdays. What? Okay, and he memorized when they were elected, the date. <laughs> and when they stopped, and I was just like, what? And we were having an exercise where the kids would throw out a number from like 1 to 44. He really has down. 1 to 44, throw a number out, 20. And they're like, oh, this president, his birthday, when he was elected. And I was just like, whoa! I like Matthew. He's cool. He's a neat guy. But he asked me, he was like, hey, have you ever heard of a guy named Kent Hovind? Kent Hovind is a Christian apologist. And what is that? A Christian apologist is a defender of a belief system. Kent Hovind's situation is he is a Christian. He is a defender of the Christian faith. Little did he know that Kent Hovind was actually instrumental in my faith as an early Christian. He was instrumental. And he was so amazing. And I was like, he, he was amazing to me. And the first time I ever saw him, it was in the fourth grade. I was a deep thinker in the fourth grade. <laughs> he was talking about apologetics, and I was like, whoa, that's neat. But he stood up on the stage and just held up his Bible so simply and just said, we have the truth. We have the truth. 
And you could buy his confidence. There's certain people that say something so well, and you're just like, yeah, I'll buy what you're selling, even if it is a razor that can cut a penny. You know, those infomercials. Do any of you guys watch those? Like, yeah, yeah, I need that. It's just like, honey, do we really need floss that can cut through a tire? It's just like, I don't think that, uh, but it's like, oh, I totally need that. And they're pretty good at their craft in selling something. But beyond just confidence, at this time in my life, in the fourth grade, uh, the guy Kenthoven, he stood up and he gave more than just confidence, he gave evidence, which I really appreciated as a very young skeptic. Um, One acrostic I will give to you, one acronym is PUMA, P-U-M-A. The different types of evidences he gave were prophecy, prophecy. No other religious book out there tackles this difficult thing. Only the Bible. What is prophecy? This is going to happen tomorrow. (laughs) And it happens. That's prophecy. In the Bible, it prophesies so many things, and they have all come to pass. There's so many small things out there that just blow your mind. And yet, as Christians, we kind of just let it slide over us. Just like, hmm. it's like a blanket. Like, yeah, that's nice. When in reality, it should be earthquake-shaking power. What? <laughs> something predicted something in the past that would happen in the future, and it happened? Are you kidding me? That's what happened in the fourth grade for me. The next thing, Puma, P-U, is unity. The Bible isn't just a book. It's a library of 66 books written by 44 different authors over the course of thousands of years. Now, I don't know about you, but when you enter a book club or a writing club, I was actually in a writing class uh, years ago, and we would all write a story. Now, if you were to ask us all to write a story about, let's say, a guy that goes fishing, And uh, later on, he goes and picks up McDonald's because that's the best fast food place there is. What? Anyways. Now, let that happen. Everyone writes the same story, right? At the end of the day, are they all going to say the same thing? Probably not. Probably not. At the end of the thousands of years in the compilation of the scripture that we have today, they say the same thing. And what is that? God sits on the throne in heaven, and Jesus died for our sins, and the only way that we get to God in heaven is through him. That's the unity that the scripture provides, and that stands true today. Fourth grade Jimmy. (gasps) Wow, that's cool. Puma, P-U-M, manuscript evidence. There's 24,000 manuscripts. So if someone writes something that's a little bit off, this is the Bible. Um, It's not quite in line with what everything else has to say. They can simply pluck it out and be like, this isn't quite right, and this is why. Really cool. Bible's actually the best-selling book that there is. Who knew, right? (laughs) Uh, That one's interesting, but I really like the last one, A, Puma, P-U-M-A, archaeology. You know, there's a lot of history recorded in the Bible, and this history points to things that actually happened back in the day. And it's cool if you want to tell those stories. But at the end of the day, if there's nothing really that said like, oh, yeah, there was a battle here at this time in history. And you're like, okay, well, prove it. (laughs) 
you know, skepticism. We have archaeologists go check it out, dig it up, and they find, well, actually, it looks like there was a battle here. There was a ruler at this time in history. Okay, like, really? I don't know if we have proof of that in history. And we go find that site, and we find a tombstone with, oh, so-and-so was that ruler at this time. Fourth-year-old Jimmy. Cool. Sometimes we get our minds blown one too many times, and we're just like, yeah, it's all right. (laughs) Maybe we need a fresh insight as to who Jesus was, as to who Jesus is today. When confronted with absolute truth, no amount of honest skepticism is too much. As a, coming from a skeptic, if you are a skeptic out there, bring your questions to Jesus. He's big enough to handle them. Now, there's a show on Disney+. Plus. I don't know if you guys have been watching that much. It's come out. It's pretty cool. I was actually talking to a couple of you guys earlier about it. Um, there is a show called The Mandalorian. Anyone fans of that? Yeah? Ah, yeah, okay. A couple good fans in the back up there. Yeah, I see you. That's what they do up there. Oh, man. They're watching Disney+. Plus. Um, you've been found out. All right. But here's the thing. There is, in this show, a group of people called the Mandalorian. And when they are speaking about the way that they live their life, they say, this is the way. It's kind of a cool line. This is the way. So they live their life. They do something. Why are you living that way? This is the way. (laughs) Oftentimes, as a young millennial... I've wondered what my way is supposed to be. <laughs> and I've been like, eh, should I do this or should I do this? And, you know, America, land of opportunity. There's so many opportunities, almost to the point where it's like, ah! <laughs> there's like so many places to go. And yet, it's hard to make a decision. And yet, they're all open to us. Sometimes it helps to have an older person to come alongside and say like, hey, why don't you try this? Why don't you do this? This is your skill set. Which is why I so often say to the older generation, point, point younger people in a direction. They appreciate it. <clears throat> Some of them. Other women will be like, don't tell me what to do. <clears throat> but hey, <clears throat> I appreciate it. And maybe others will as well. Perhaps you, this Christmas season, are wondering about how you can live the correct way this Christmas season. Perhaps skepticism free. And if you're wondering about the way, and if you're wondering how you can live skepticism free, Jesus said something to you and to me that is very poignant in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Can I get an amen? Oh, so good. Are you kidding me? You wonder the way? I'm the way. You skeptical? I'm the truth. That's the truth. There's no other way. It's the truth. And beyond that, you want to live? I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You want to know the way you go? Follow Jesus. Amen. My goodness.
Today I wanted to talk about three couples who handled their announcement of pregnancy, ironically to them, very different from one another. The first couple was Abraham and Sarah. The second couple was Zachariah and Elizabeth. And the third couple is Mary and Joseph. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 18.10. And I want to go through the story. It goes like this. Sorry, I would give you more time, but I'm running out of time. And I got to get to reading. So crack it open. Follow along. We're going 10 to 15. This goes like this. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about This time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child? Now that I am old, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. And that's the end. We'll stop there. I love that story. Isn't that hilarious? I don't know. I just can't get past that. But sometimes we need that. Maybe you are asking yourself the same thing that Sarah asks. I'm worn out. I'm worn out. Can God really use me? The answer is yes. 100% yes. Unfortunately, through their own efforts... Abraham and Sarah ignore the promise of God and attempt to help him out. (laughs) They had Abraham lay with Hagar, Sarah's handmaiden, producing a son. And unfortunately, that son, Ishmael, became the problem that Israel still faces to this day. (sighs) If they had only waited if they had only believed in the promise of God. Perhaps that's a lesson you or I could glean from today. Fast forward to Luke chapter 1, verse 13. Flip there very fast because here we go. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Flip to verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent. And not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Now I started out with the skepticism talk because I'm apparently like a couple of people in the Bible. I'm skeptical. Maybe you guys are too. But there's that skepticism again. God, however, 
laid on Zechariah a reminder. <laughs> a reminder. In the absence of his voice was the promise of God. Sometimes our voices just need to be silenced so that we can hear and dwell on the promise of God. Perhaps that's a message we need to hear today. Then there's Mary. Fast forward a couple verses. Verse 27c. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked. Since I am a virgin. Uh-oh. Mary questioned, what's going to happen to her? <laughs> Let's keep reading. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I'm going to read one thing one more time, and I need an amen. For no word of God will ever fail. Amen. Ah, oh, that's good. Let's go home. I'm joking. I'm joking. You have to sit longer. In light of God's promise to us, our response should always be, I am the Lord's servant. Because God's promises to us are so real and so powerful. My goodness. Noticed. Notice. There is no needed reminders for Mary. I would like to suggest the possibility that this means that there was belief in her heart right from the start. But her question was slightly different. How is this going to happen? I, I'm a virgin. Whereas all the other questions were like, am I really? I'm kind of old. I don't think that's going to happen. Zach Rapp, <laughs> how can I be sure? <laughs> I'm old, you know? Mary responds, I believe with belief in her heart. And she responds with, I am the Lord's servant. Now, I'd love to com comment more on Mary, but I think someone may be able to do it better than I. And Eric actually asked another person to come up and share a different perspective that neither he nor I could give, that of a pregnant woman. So with that, would you please give a warm welcome to my beautiful wife, Heather Cooper. Would you come on up? <laughs> Thank 
Just waddle up here. <laughs> Hi, guys. I'm Heather. You may need to stop for a bathroom break. <laughs> it's pregnancy. That's what it is. Hope you guys don't mind if I do this sitting down. I am Jimmy's wife, as he said, and I am eight months pregnant with our baby boy. Due January 24th. That's what the name tag says. Not a name. Don't have that yet. Month left. But a few weeks ago, Eric asked Jimmy and I to speak on Mary. So Jimmy came home and goes, hey, honey, Eric asked us a question, but maybe keep an open mind and don't say no until you've prayed about it, maybe, which is a great way to get a question from your husband. You know, it's going to be a good one. So he asked, and if any of you know me, my first instinct was no. I am a bit of an introvert, don't like attention, so that was my first answer, but kept my mouth shut. Jimmy took a nap, and while he did, I spent some time praying and opened the story of Mary. And I don't know about you guys, but I have heard about Mary my whole life, every Christmas especially. I've heard her story, virgin birth. Bethlehem donkey ride, which sounds particularly horrible to me right now. (laughs) Car ride was rough. (laughs) But I sat there wondering, okay, what could an eight-month pregnant woman say about the most famous pregnant lady ever? And by the time Jimmy woke up, my answer had changed from a resounding no to I think I probably should. Maybe it's just having our firstborn son in here. Or maybe it's because I actually opened the story and read it for a little bit. But I feel like in the last couple weeks, I've really gotten a different perspective on Mary. The first thing that really struck me about Mary, Jimmy already talked about. How she believed without a doubt before anybody else did. She asked a logistical question. I'm a virgin. How am I going to get pregnant? But then she believed The next thing that really struck me about her was her humility, which has really been blowing my mind. How many of you guys, now don't point, but how many of you guys know parents that brag about their kids? All of you. (laughs) I see some pointing, Samuel. (laughs) (laughs) Jay, you're ratting out your mom. (laughs) She brags about me. You see those bumper stickers? My student. Student of the week at their preschool. <laughs> student of the week at the preschool, yeah. Proud of my honor student at the uh, elementary school, Plato class. <laughs> my son made first string on his t-ball team. <laughs> um, a, I actually did see a sticker, and it said, proud parent of a latte artist. And I was like... Woot, woot. Or you get the parents saying, oh, my son is going to college. My son's going to Harvard. Proud parent of a Harvard Law student. So then we have Mary who can walk in here and say, oh, really? My son's the savior of the world. Gives sight to the blind, rose from the dead, sits at the right hand of God. Game, set, match. (laughs) If there's any parent out there that has a right to brag... It's Mary, and yet she always chose humility. Even from the first moment that Gabriel told her the news, she didn't run through the village tweeting, hashtag blessed. She ran off to Elizabeth. And keep in mind that 
the Jews knew that the Messiah was coming and he would be born of a virgin. They were expecting this, and a lot of women wanted to be that mama. So it wouldn't be a surprise and kind of maybe expect her to be like, it's me, chosen one, I got it. But instead, she keeps it to herself and runs to the one person that Gabriel told her is already a part of this narrative, her cousin Elizabeth. And when she gets there, she doesn't even share the news. The baby does. John the Baptist leaps for joy at the sound of her voice, and the Holy Spirit tells Elizabeth the news before Mary does. And Elizabeth is the one that says, wow, it's you. And then Mary shares her joy. She never raises herself up. Even as Jesus grows up, we see a few accounts of him doing incredible things, just a few. But we see in Luke 2, when Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple, and some prophets come and confirm to her he is the Messiah. She doesn't run around saying, like, blue check mark, it's confirmed. He's the Messiah. Luke 2.19 says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then we see another example when he's a little bit older, Jimmy. Well, um, I don't know if you parents have ever forgotten your children. (laughs) But Mary and Joseph did. (laughs) Um, Turns out they were going to... Jerusalem. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And back in the day, they traveled with a large group of people. However, that group of people occasionally was so big, you would lose track of people. Jesus, turns out, was one of the people that kind of wanted to stick around. And he stayed in the temple. And three days later, Mary and Joseph were like, where's Jesus? Where'd he go? Only three days, parents. Three days. Three days? Like, okay, a day maybe, but I don't know. A different culture for sure. And they come back to the temple, and they see Jesus there sitting with the leaders, asking questions. And everyone, turns out, were impressed. What what is it that actually said? All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And yet his parents are like, what are you doing here? Like, get back in the car. <clears throat> we got to go. <clears throat> get back on the camel. <laughs> um, and Jesus said, I got to be about my father's business. And it didn't really phase them. They're just like, what? What are you talking about? We know today that that was God's son. And he needed to be about his father's business. Mary what does it say here? Mary treasured those things in her heart. The, the, it's like a teacher, you know. Your student is doing very well. Makes you feel good, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't know yet. <laughs> However, I have experienced a few things with our youth group. I'm very proud of them. And whenever I hear parents say, like, it's really cool to see them growing in their relationship with Jesus makes me very proud (laughs) and that's what Mary did but once again she wasn't boastful about it she kept it held it special in her heart in moments where she could have easily chosen pride to brag and to raise herself up as the perfect parent 
the beginning of that verse says he returned with them and was obedient to them, which is miraculous in itself. (laughs) She chose instead to keep it to herself and treasure it in her heart, knowing that one day her reward would come from heaven instead. And that the most important person to glorify was God, was her son. Yes, she knew her son was special. Might offend you guys with saying this, but my least favorite Christmas song is Mary, Did You Know? In our house, we sing a different version called Yes, She Really Knew. Yes, She Really Knew. Because Gabriel told her so. She knew her son was the savior of the world. And throughout his life, she chose to point to him instead of herself. And she chose to always, always give glory to God. And when I was reading about Mary, I was kind of challenged by that. To choose humility rather than pride. And to always point to him, remembering that God is the one who actually deserves praise. So there's one last thing that struck me about Mary. And this one really struck home being pregnant. So here's my pregnant perspective. One simple phrase here. Sometimes the greatest blessings in our life come through a lot of pain. The other day I was talking to a friend of mine about pregnancy. And the question was, have you enjoyed being pregnant? And I sat there with the question on my phone for about five minutes, just staring at it, realizing that my answer was not simple. I couldn't choose yes or no. The process of childbearing holds a lot of pain. We're promised that in the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 3.16 says to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Exciting, right? For some people, the pain comes from not being able to have your own children or losing a child. For some people, their bodies take to it like a fish to water, and the pain comes when it's time to labor and deliver. For some people, the pain and discomfort starts the second you get pregnant and lasts till that baby comes. And for just about everyone, the pain of childbearing comes when you're raising a sinner in need of a savior. See, that's pretty true. Anybody have a toddler? (laughs) Pretty painful sometimes. When I first started writing this out, I wrote how I can't really yet speak to the pain of labor, but I can speak to the discomfort of pregnancy. Well, fast forward to Thursday when we spent the night in the hospital with contractions and I had to change that line. I can now say I have felt that and it hurts. What does it feel like? I was trying to think of a way to describe it because whenever I would ask, someone would be like, you'll know. You'll know what it feels like when you feel it. I was like, that's helpful. (laughs) Thank you. Foreboding. Yeah. And I was trying to think of a way to describe it this morning. Is it like an anvil? So you know like when you stub your pinky toe and you think you're going to die? Your whole body is a pinky toe. And someone drops an anvil on it. And then the second you start to feel better, they drop another one. And that was mild, said the doctor. So I have about a month and a half to look forward to that times 100, which is exciting. But We're good. The baby's okay. Yeah. The baby's healthy. Baby Praise boy. God for doctors who stopped contractions and we're just praying he stays in there for another month now at least. But I want to be honest with you guys here. 
And I want you guys to know that I'm not complaining. I don't want pity. I'm just trying to be honest because a lot of times I don't think we are. I think we kind of keep it to ourselves. And I know that a lot of women go through harder things in pregnancy and I want to be super sensitive to that. I'm not trying to speak for every woman out there. Everybody's story is unique and important. I'm only speaking to what I have lived. So, for the first three months of pregnancy, I could eat about three things. Very bland things, because anything else would make me horribly sick. I would carry around a bag I called my pregnancy bag with all sorts of things that would treat the nausea that was literally constant. Morning sickness is a lie. It's like all day. And I would fall asleep just about anywhere because it felt like all the energy was sucked out of my body. Which it was. It was sucked from me to the baby. And the whole time I was struggling with this emotional turmoil of guilt and bitterness because I'd wanted to be pregnant my whole life. But I was so bitter towards whatever was making me so sick and making it to where I couldn't get off the couch. Then the second trimester started, nausea went away, praise God. I had a little bit of energy left, and I could start to feel the baby move. So for a few months, it was like I was myself again. And I could almost kind of forget that something was different sometimes, and then I'd feel the baby move, and this emotional attachment started. I'd known in theory I'd do anything for this baby, but now was like every time there was a kick, that instinct hit. And now we're in the home stretch, third trimester, solidly in it. The sleep is gone. The tired is back. And I have about constant back pain from a previous injury. And we've got contractions and stuff. But here's my answer to the earlier question. Have I enjoyed the entire experience of being pregnant? My answer would have to be no. And there's like a lot of guilt and even admitting that out loud. But has it all been worth it? Yes. And would I do it again? Yes. May sound crazy. The pain is worth it because I know what's coming. And if we were all honest with each other, I think we would admit that there's a lot of parts of our lives that are not enjoyable, that are downright painful. But if we focus on the pain, then we're going to live our lives in a state of depression and anxiety and fear. We have to focus on the fact that God is bigger than whatever we're facing and that he promises hope in a future. Even if it's not here on earth, we have heaven, which is better than anything we can even imagine. And when Mary is told by the angel that she will become pregnant and give birth to Jesus, she responds, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. When she gets to Elizabeth's home and sings out in joy, she proclaims, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary rejoices in the blessings that God has lavished on her in choosing her to bear the Savior of the world, despite the fact that she's looking down a path of a lot of pain if she says yes. First off, she's looking at the actual pain of childbearing, the physical pain. But aside from that, she has a lot of social pains ahead of her. 
One of the things we all know about Mary is that she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. In those days, a lot of people would be promised to each other from birth, and then they'd get closer to the actual marriage time, and it became a betrothal that was a commitment that was so strong that to break it would require a divorce. And for Mary to be pregnant outside of that would amount to adultery. And adultery was punishable by stoning. Now next week we're going to hear about Joseph and how awesome he was and how God orchestrated that their marriage would go forward and that Mary wouldn't face that future. But when she said yes, there was no guarantee for her socially. And yet she believed and rejoiced in God's promise. Even though she was facing social ostracism, losing her future husband, and actual pain of childbearing, she rejoiced. She focused on the blessing. I've heard a lot of men joke that the second their wife delivered, she completely forgot all about labor and the pain and was just completely focused on that bundle of joy while he was in the corner still crying over how crazy traumatic that was. But shouldn't we all look at our lives like that, focusing on that blessing when it comes? If you're honest with yourself right now, I want you to ask this question. How often in my life do I focus on the bad things that have happened rather than the blessings? And how often do I focus on what God hasn't done rather than who he is and all that he's promised us and all the promises he has fulfilled and all the good he has lavished on us, even though we don't deserve any of it? Christmas is my favorite time of year. Not much of a secret. But the reason I love Christmas so much is because each year it comes around and reminds us of the greatest promise and present that we've ever received. Think about it. Centuries ago, God promised that he would send his son, a savior, who would be born of a virgin. The odds on that one alone are just ridiculous. He would be born in a specific place, in a specific time, would be raised in a certain town, would live a perfect life and never sin, and would take on all of our sins and be the perfect sacrifice so that we would be able to have a personal relationship with our creator and a second chance at Eden. Christmas is a reminder that God broke all the odds out there and fulfilled that promise. And if God can keep that incredible promise in a time with no crack medical teams or ambulances or phones or anesthesia, how much more can he work in our lives today? The verse that stuck out to me the most about Mary is Luke 1.45. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Mary didn't even have the same kind of evidence that we have in this book to back up the fact that God keeps his promises. And yet she believed without a doubt. She believed, and because she did believe, we have Jesus. He was born, and we all have the gift of salvation offered to us. She believed and she rejoiced despite the pain. And my prayer for all of us is that that verse will be one that applies to us. Blessed are they that believe that the Lord will fulfill his promises to them. 
just like he did with Jesus. Amen. <laughs> it is, I think, a very important reminder to slow down this Christmas because it's such a fast-paced holiday. It's like you go shopping, you know. Start. It starts with Black Friday, right? After Thanksgiving, you stuff yourself, and they're like, now go shopping, and then keep shopping until December 24th. You know, even time off, it's like, wow, it just flies by. And then you have Christmas, meet the relatives. <clears throat> and then in all of that, we forget all that we choose to celebrate this time of year. So it is important, I think, to slow down. To slow down, take a breath. And just remember Jesus. We have a really special singer in our midst. <laughs> and um, there's a song that we sing from the very perspective of Mary. And Robin Strachan is going to share that with us this morning. Um, and as we welcome her up, I'm going to go ahead and pray as we close this time and enter into reflection of that. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for all that you've done. I pray that you would help us to slow down, help us to have faith, help us to believe in your truth. Help us to Get rid of that mask of skepticism and help us to enjoy your presence this time of year. So Lord, as we think on you and think on your story, may we be blessed and may we choose to bless those that are around us. In your name, Jesus, amen. I'm so glad I'm not doing Mary Did You Know. <laughs> <laughs> 